Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joy today, she's a cancer survivor, health coach, and entrepreneur. Please welcome Yen to the show. How are you doing today, Yen? Hi. Hi, Alex. I'm doing fantastic. I'm so excited and grateful to be here today. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we'd like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what did you like doing growing up? So I am from Singapore, all the way on the other side of the world. Singapore, one we say we are at one degree north of equator. <laughs> sunny, <laughs> sunny island, city-state. And currently right now, I am a integrative uh, women's health coach, specifically, you know, serving the cancer survivor, long-term cancer survivors, female above 30. I'm also uh, a chi, you know, like a chi movement teacher. I also blend in with some energy healing practitioner and really a serial entrepreneur as well. Growing up in Singapore, Singapore, what did you enjoy doing? What are like the known things that kids growing up there do? Oh, wow. Such a great question because, you know, Singapore is a small, small country and uh, full of, um, uh, and, 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 you know, we are, we have, um, how do I say, we have um, influences from our British colonial. So a lot of, I mean, I would say it's typical, like a typical city, you know, like a city, city area, you know, people go shopping and, and um, definitely actually a lot of studying. You know, um, in Singapore, we do a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of studying, tuition. But that being said, because the country is small, um, I always like to describe Singapore as a land of man-made possibility. If you have time, uh, you can Google and you can see things like, oh, you know, we don't have four seasons, but we have things like the snow city, which is basically fake snow, you know. <laughs> and then we have, uh, right now we have, you know, Gardens by the Bay, something that I'm so proud of, so beautiful. Uh, you have all this like... um. Uh, little mountains or you know like little forests as well so yeah growing up there's a lot of um um yeah starting to do there's a lot of tuition a lot of personal development skills development but it's also you know it really depends on the environment that you grow up right um you know if 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 your family is very active then you'll probably do a lot of uh, outdoor activities you know beach because you know we're just surrounded by waters and uh Oh, yes. Another thing, Singapore, it's a foodie nation. You know, we are like, yeah, we have a lot of, uh, we are a melting pot of, you know, a fusion of different kinds of cuisines. And because Singapore is a multi-racial society, we have four main uh, races. So mm-hmm. a lot of our language, our, sorry, our lingua franca, uh, I mean, sorry, uh, yeah, the way how we speak, the the type of foods that we have, they're all very, you know, we use the word rojak, mixed. Yeah. So that's kind of like my experience growing up in Singapore. Were you someone that preferred the outdoors kind of lifestyle or activities, mm. or did you enjoy the studying aspect or learning as much as you can? Right, right. This is, uh, wow, you, you know, <laughs> I laugh because I grew up not being super active, mm-hmm. but that is because I had, um, I didn't have a very strong health or immune system growing up. So, you know, my parents, my grandmom, my grandmother uh, sort of like sheltered me from being active because if I start getting active, then a lot of symptoms flare up when I was young. So I think that shaped my childhood being very much uh, sedentary in the sense that I was just doing a lot of studying and reading and, you know, immerse myself in the world of books and 
uh, the time was crazy about astronomy <laughs> and like all the planets in the space stuff like that but then you know the turning point came around uh, 15 16 when all of a sudden my my lung immunity especially got super strong and then i then discovered about movement you know and i was like wow I didn't realize that I could move this way and I didn't have all the side effects from moving too much, like persistent cough or skin allergies and stuff like that. And then one thing led to another. I think by the time I reached 18, I was probably, you know, on the outside, I probably looked like like super fit and super adventurous. So in many ways, I think I'm a late bloomer when it comes to like outdoor activity. Now, for me right now, I I definitely prefer being more outdoor. Yeah. Being more outdoors. Yes, I like nature a lot. I love it. I live by the beach anyway. <laughs> Having those medical things, did it kind of hurt like maybe self-confidence in a way? Or did you not feel like yourself growing up? Mm. Like with your lungs and all that? Yeah, I would say growing up, um, I didn't feel any negative uh, impact on me until I would say probably when you, you know, when, when you're in school, it's very social. Right, you see other other uh kids. I, I grew up in a same sex school for uh ten years before you know I went to a co ed school. So I think growing up, yeah, because of the social aspect, you're sort of unknowingly you compare yourself, like, hey, you know, why is it that this this girl can do that, this girl is this, this girl is that and then you start to unconsciously I mean you're young at the time and no one really taught me a lot of things, and then you start to wonder like, hmm. You know, um, I, I I wish I could do that. Why can't I do that? The way how they do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and then you start to come. I mean, yeah. And then at one point I got, I was uh, labeled, considered overweight by, you know, by the BMI standard, which honestly, I don't think, I mean, I may be on a borderline overweight, but I'm not like obese, obese, overweight, overweight, just like how you see it in the States. Um, and being in the same uh, same sex school it definitely affected my uh yeah it definitely affected my my self-esteem a lot uh, because what happened was at the time there's this scheme called the tough club t-a-f mm-hmm. which means trim and fit because i was overweight i was in this tough club for like two to three years and what they do is that during our 40 minute recess all right we can't go for we can't eat during canteen i mean during the recess time instead we have to do skipping exercise but the thing is that in my school at that time, they chose the venue, all right, for people in the tough club, right? They chose it right in front of the canteen where all the other girls, right, they are eating, which means that they can actually see who are in the tough club. So you can imagine the kind of like self-esteem that it had on, on people, on girls, you know, in the tough club. Um, I, I didn't know at that time this thing called fat shaming, I think around 2016, someone actually wrote about fat shaming things. So I, yeah, I think that grew, grew up definitely affected my self-worth, my self-esteem, the way how I, you know, uh, look at myself as well. And uh, it doesn't help that, you know, tough, if, if you reverse it, it it's spelled F-A-T. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you even think about with the states, that is just, you see that all the time. And especially in a time where social media pictures online nowadays, people commenting behind a computer screen, it's just, it's hard for people to have that confidence without either editing a photo or not being their true authentic self. They're not being who they are. 
And it's almost like wish people wish that they were going back in time where people didn't have social media and they can't say those things and let people be who they are. And you talked about like the BMI index. And I think a lot of people look at that and they're like, oh, I'm on this side. This thing tells me I'm maybe overweight and stuff. And then they go crazy with their diets and stuff. And it becomes even more deadly. So I think everyone in this world can relate to those kind of struggles if they have gone through those things. Yeah, I think you raise a really, really good point, Alex. I mean, during my time, uh, well, listeners, I'm approaching 40. So I'm talking about 20 years ago where social media is, I don't think social media was even really born. Yeah. Maybe Facebook, maybe like Facebook in the early, early days. <laughs> but during that time, nobody really used social media. So, um, and right now with, you know, with, with the rep, with the rampage of social media, I think the impact, the emotional and the mental impact on, uh, you know, on, on external, um, yeah, on the, our externals and taking care of our really, uh, yeah, like really taking care of health has taken, um, yeah, has, has blown out of proportion, you know, and I think, and I think it also give a warped sense about, you know, what health really means. All right. Uh, right now, compared to twenty years ago, I mean, twenty years ago, I felt it. I mean, twenty. Like I said, when I first was in Tough Club, I didn't feel that much, except for the bit that shame, whereby, oh my god, I need to do, I need to, you know, I need to exercise in front of the whole school. Like people would know, like, oh my god, you're in a Tough Club, which affected my self esteem because later on, as I get, you know, when I move into my twenties, right, I. I wanted, I, I then, you know, started to, you know, I, I, yeah, I started doing uh, weight training at the gym and one thing lead to another. And at one point I was like, you know what? I want to see if I can, I want to sort of challenge as well as see if I can, um, uh, you know, look like the women on, on, on magazine covers. Mm -hmm. And I did that and, um, and I, I learned a lot and I realized that, oh my gosh, there's so much, uh, I call it myths and the ugly truth behind the scenes as well. And I, and I noticed, you know, all of this is being talked about, you know, over the last couple of years. So yeah, my, my journey, you know, in, in terms of just that aspect, it's, it's quite a bit. And we, we have not even talked about my cancer journey. So <laughs> sometimes yeah. when we're growing up, we're asked that fun question. What do we want as a dream job? What was that dream job for you as you were growing up? Okay, I will have to admit that I it pivoted, it changed a lot. My <laughs> first dream job was to be a astronaut, something okay. in the space. All right, and then I realized that okay, in Singapore that's not quite an option. And then I said, all right, let's be a uh, pilot. You know, anything to fly. And then I realized that okay, you know, I've been myopic. I have been wearing glasses since I was three, and then I realized that's also out. Okay. And then I said, all right, let's be a air traffic, uh, what could it first, anyway, anything to do with aviation. I was going down that road <laughs> and I was like, okay, I can't even be an air stewardess because I'm only five foot one. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I can't be an aviation. And then I thought of then becoming, I think my last option was, oh yes, yeah, something along the line of uh, nutrition. And that let me, you know, but at that time there was no like a major degree nutrition in Singapore. And the next closest thing I could find was uh, food science and technology. I was very passionate about, um, you know, wanting to have a very meaningful and purposeful uh, career revolving around 
using food as a way to heal mm-hmm. ourselves, not just individually, but as well as relational. Because I grew up in a three-generational household and uh, being a typical Asian Chinese family, we have lots of food. And I don't know why I have this innate ability in me to observe patterns. And I noticed that, wow, you know, food is so intimate in our lives. We don't realize like when we meet up with somebody, it's always about food, right? And there's nothing wrong with it. You know, it's just so intimate to us. And, um, and, and, you know, through, through my years, I noticed that the, you know, our health, right? Our health status depends on our social as well as what we eat, right? So I, I really wanted to, to move more into the whole nutrition aspect of things. Yeah. Going to school, did you go to college and what path did you take or did you go right into the workforce? Right. So uh, very typical in Singapore is very typical. Uh, so we, we, we moved. We, so because we are, you know, uh, part, we are, how do you say, we are product from, from the British colony, right? So we don't, we, our here we call our colleges university, mm-hmm. right? And then before universities, uh, it was that we call it junior college, which is 17, 18 years old. And I think that in the US is, uh, what's that? 17, 18. 17 to 18 would be uh, last year of high school for most people. Right. You see, last year of high school. And then, um, yeah, and then I began my university, my degree program when I was 19, which I think in the States it's called college. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that. What path were you going? Like, did you have a set field? Like, did you kind of know, like, nutrition was the route that you wanted to go? Was it kind of aviation, mm. those things? Mm. What was that path for you? Mm, right. So, you know, I didn't set out to plan a lot of things. I mean, I remembered I was faced with a dilemma, like after 18, after I got my A-levels, because I did triple science. And my teacher at that time said that, yeah, you could try, you know, for medical school. She felt that I have, I mean, not just my grade supported that, but she felt that in terms of my soft skills, like character-wise, she felt that I could go for medical school. Uh, but I didn't opt for medical school because I was attached to a medical student during my last day of high school. And I was like, whoa, that's a lot of work. I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> a lot of work, guys, <laughs> to study medicine. Yeah, so um, I didn't do that. Uh, and then, And then, like I said, then I opted for food science and technology. In, in university, because I thought that was, that would be the next closest thing to nutrition. Uh, however, life took me on a different path. Because uh, in, in, in college, I started a relationship with, with someone who is 10 years older than me. I actually met him when I was doing a holiday job while waiting to enter uh, college. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was dating someone who is 10 years older than I am. And I think that relationship, changed my university years or my college days so I I started being I call myself an accidental entrepreneur because I didn't start out wanting to do business but because hanging out with him and he was thinking a lot about financial freedom life he was he was teaching me a lot about you know uh, making money out from the internet you know that that was during that was like 2000 and uh, that was 2003. So we're talking about really the early, I mean, almost slightly after the early dot-com days. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. right? Where you have to spend thousands of dollars just to get an online store up, you know, compared to now a couple of hundred dollars. You can even do it on your own. It's <laughs> much easier. Yeah. So during that four, uh, three, four years in university days, I I got bored with college uh, study. You know, I managed to scrape by and was focusing a lot about, you know, creating um, multiple streams of income uh, online. So I call myself an accidental entrepreneur. Yeah. And then one thing led to another. That's when I started my first um, e-commerce business. Yeah. During my university days or college days. As you talked about the big transitions in your life, one big part of your story is your cancer journey that you went on. Talk Mm. about the lead up to that diagnosis and how were you feeling and what were you going through? Right. So my cancer did not came as a surprise for me. Um, In fact, okay, so remember earlier on I, I shared that growing up I had not a very strong childhood uh, immunity, mm-hmm. right? And then through a lot of care from my grandparent, from my grandmother, and using holistic methods, mainly TCM, with a little bit of Western approach, but mostly the TCM approach, I got really, really strong. Uh, my immunity, my lung immunity got really strong. And that's when I discovered about, you know, movement, about exercising, about rhythm, about nature and all that stuff. And then I met my boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend. Uh, and then we started an entrep- and then we started an online business. I was, you know, in the rush, rush state, stage, state, you know, really wanted to achieve as much as I can. And then that relationship became rather abusive, semi-abusive towards the end of, especially the last two years uh, of the relationship. It could be a mix of you know, I was young and he was stressed. I don't know, you know, all that. Um, just a lot of things, you know, like there's emotions, there's business. Sometimes the, it, all the boundaries get so blurred up as well. And um, I wasn't, I wasn't, yeah, like I said, I was still new, I was young. And adding on to that, he was someone who is not of my race. So there's a lot of um, complexity as well, you know, uh, adding on to that. So yeah, so the relationship turned rather abusive and then we often were quarreling. There was a lot of verbal abuse. And then at one point he, you know, he started to hit me after we after we uh we quarreled. And that added further emotional stress in terms of shame and guilt. Because shame because I didn't want to come home looking like, you know, terrible. Guilt because I felt at that time, I felt guilty that I turned him into like someone that he's not. I clearly, you know, he clearly wasn't like that when I first met him, right? And then when he turned, I felt like I, I felt like I triggered something in him, especially when he started threatening, wanting to kill himself, you know? And then I remembered at that time, I, I kept saying that at the rate that we are quarreling, we won't be, so I won't be surprised that I will get sick. I kept saying it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And then finally, you know, we were, we were going through the breakup and patchback, big breakup and patchback phase. And then finally, at the turn of a new year, I was like, you know what? I don't think this is doing well for us at all. So we, 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 we did a clean breakup. And then like most young girls after they break up, you know, what did they do? They go to the gym, they do exercise, you know, they want to get their esteem back, something, something back. And um, yeah, I did that. And I was actually preparing for women's first triathlon. And I would say on externally, I was eating clean, clean. 
clean means like no processed food, just, you know, just, yeah, no processed food, no overload of sugar and stuff like that. And I was exercising relatively, I was active, you know, on external, I look good, right? And then 10 months later, um, yeah, I found out that I had my cancer, stage three Hodgkin's lymphoma. So when I found out I had cancer, I was like, like I said, I was not surprised because remember, I was like, holy crap, did I just curse myself? Because, you know, for almost one and a half years, I kept saying at the rate that we are quarreling, I will be surprised. I will get really, really sick. I remember asking the doctor, uh, okay, are you sure? I said, yeah, pretty sure. All right. And my, and yeah, I wasn't like scared. I was like, yeah, I really, I really, really had that, that, you know, that, that, that wake up call. It's like, hey, crap. I think I just cursed myself. There's power in words. Jeez. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You know, like, holy crap. And no one in my family had cancer before. So yeah. And I really thought that cancer was a big flu bug for me. Even to this day. Yeah. So that's how I found out I had cancer. <laughs> how long did it, the cancer story last? Did you kind of start feeling worse over time? Or were you doing like medicines and treatment that was helping wow. you kind of not, not wow. have those side effects? Well, I love this question. I really, really love this question, Alex. Because um, it's something that I keep thinking about actually in the the first 10 years after my cancer, mm-hmm. you know, um, how do I say? Like, I definitely have my moments of, I call it existential crisis, identity crisis. At least that's for me. I, all I can say is that every, from what I know, from what I heard and from what I read as well, from what I experienced, every cancer story is very different yeah. as well. And um, especially right now, because like I said, social, social media tends to sensationalize everything. At that time, during my time, social media was not great. I don't have the luxury. Okay, I won't say luxury. I don't have the whole, you know, like documented on my Instagram, the videos, the reels, and yeah. photos and stuff like that. So even if you want to talk about it on on social media, it's very interesting for me because I'm like, I have all the photos to show. But it's okay, you know, I it's my my life story. It's a testament of it. That's why I'm doing podcasts. Um, yeah, so that, when you ask that question about how was it like for me? I was like, you know, it's the the six months of me doing the test, the scans and going through just chemotherapy. I did just intensive chemotherapy, by the way. Just the chemotherapy alone. It wasn't much. You know, it wasn't as bad as what I saw or what we know in in movies. Yeah. You know, like I thought that I would be like, oh, frail and like, dying on bed you know that kind of stuff but it wasn't I, I think in most part yes definitely some fatigue because you know you're just constantly pumping yourself you know um uh, drugs mm-hmm. uh, but you know some of the other patients that I met in, in in the hospital actually said to me that perhaps also because you are young and I really think there is uh merit to it because you know when you're young your body is able to somehow sustain the effects mm-hmm. better you know, it's like you're on a clean slate. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and yeah. So, you know, going in and out of the hospital, just, I think I had a very early head start in terms of looking at life in terms of from a very deep meaning point of view, because 
I was just sitting there whenever I received my chemo drugs, just sitting there looking at other cancer patients who are, they are really fighting for their life, which means to say that some of their cancers are, you know, they, they have been in and out of the hospital for years trying to save life. You know, for me, I'm fortunate in a way that my type of cancer, it's considered very treatable. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any financial burden at the time because, you know, um, everything can be uh, paid for through my medical insurance as well as heavily subsidized by the government, right? And my parents are in a good financial situation, doesn't require a lot as well. So that's that. So yeah, so just going in our hospital, just looking at how other people so-called fighting for their lives, but they are so, so resilient. They're so positive. I mean, yeah, I was like, Yen, you, you're really given the second lease of life just being in the hospital watching these people. I remember there's this lady who is so skinny and so thin and they were telling me that, yeah, she's on her end stage. But boy, she is so spirited. I mean, really, she's so spirited. If people are complaining about life, you know, look at some of these uh, spirited, um, really a spirited fighter. So, yeah, but I would say the, the real struggle for me with cancer would actually be life after cancer. For me, it was really the life after cancer. Things like, like I, like I said, existential crisis, what to do next. And to a certain extent, I do admit that um, at least for those first 10 years, I do admit that sometimes I will wonder, like, will I get a relapse? And if I get a relapse, what am I going to do? Because, you know, the thing with the insurance model is that when you have cancer, insurance can't, you know, pay you again and insurance can't cover you again. So that's that as well. And um, some other, you know, long-term physical impacts as well. So that's so that's pretty much uh, that, you know. It's always the life of the cancer. That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> Look, yeah. Yes. Looking at the whole journey, if you could describe your kind of energy, your attitude towards how you overcame it in hmm. one word, how would you describe yourself? Good question. You know, I I facilitate that energy between um resilience and okay in terms of imagery I think I sort of look at look at myself like like a phoenix you know like a mythical phoenix like I keep going through deep deep transformations and then I rise up again and then you know whatever comes at me and then I get burned down to ashes it's not easy right and Mm -hmm. then you rise up again but at the same time, there's a lot of hope. So I also associate myself with hummingbirds. I love hummingbirds. <laughs> and then I also associate myself with the orcas, the killer whales. You know, oh, I think they are, yeah, I think they're some of the most misunderstood um, predators, right? Um, apex, they're the apex and probably also influenced by the show Always Freebily. Yeah. You know, yeah. So that's, so that's kind of like that in terms of animals. And in terms of characters, I always saw myself like I'm a mix between um, uh, um, one of Charlie Angels, particularly Lucy Liu since she's Asian, a mix between like one of the Charlie Angels, 
mixed with um Alice from uh what's that show um Resident Evil and okay. and yeah and um what's her name uh what's her name the um to- to- Tomb Raider uh, what's the oh, lady's name Laura Croft yes and Laura and Laura Croft you know like I kind of see myself a mix between all these three yeah. <laughs> I don't know what word is it. It's just looking, still, still finding that word. If you have one right now, you can just suggest to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I feel like that is so important that you are connecting your journey with a kind of the characteristics that those individuals or that animal, the characters kind of take on within their show or how they live their life. Because I love that you reference the Phoenix because that is so true that we're all sometimes falling to the ground below and rising up and kind of giving yourself not like a fresh start, but it's a new beginning to start a new chapter. And you're able to go live your life how you want without having those challenges that you're facing, but you're able to take exactly what you learned from going through it and help you grow even more today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, well put it. Yes, Alex, exactly. Oh, I just realized, oh, yes, your, your logo, it's a phoenix. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's totally a phoenix. Yeah. I, I love the way how you describe it. Yeah. I have it in my, in my, in my images as well in my head. And it brings me also to the point about the word pivot. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize how, you know, looking back, so to speak, I didn't realize how I've been through, you know, twists and turns, uh, ups and downs and pivots and spirals and, you know, I, I don't think I'll have it another way, right? And and that's the thing, right? Guys or, you know, ladies, if you want to be better, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone wants to live a better life, whatever better means for them. And to live better means to change, yeah. right? You either change for the better or you change for the worse. But either way, it's the allowing, right? Creating the space, allowing yourself to embrace the change, Right. And to allow yourself to go through that transformation, that transmutation, that metamorphosis, you know, and come to, you know, yeah, just sort of like allowing that practice, that, 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 that process to happen, which is why right now in, you know, after 15, 16 years being cancer free, right. I realized that the key to, you know, living just not just about cancer free, living just disease free, living just you know, the best version of life for the rest of your life, it's really cultivation. I call it cultivating practices, particularly the resilient practices, yeah. so that you can ride through the seasons of lives, you know, uh, whether is it on the body aspect or on the external aspect, like the macro aspect of things. Yeah, and then once you... It took me a while, you know, and I'm still <laughs> cultivating it. You know, it's an ongoing process, right? It's like nurture, it's like... You know, it's like growing your seeds from seeds to trees, right? It's it's a process, right? And then when the trees or the flowers before they die, they always, you know, will have some uh, uh, legacy left behind so that new seeds will grow. And it's, it's uh, yeah, that's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like how I associate it. So with your journey that you have been on, you talked about the beginning about the big impact and mission that you have with helping other individuals through health coach, being a health coach. What is the big mission you are trying to do to help these other individuals and their journey that they're going on? Mm. I would want to guide them into taking charge of their own health through cultivating practices 
making them realize also that there is a powerful healing or healer within us, healing mm. medicine. All right, to connect with their heart, coming back to the true self-love, not the selfish self-love, but the selfless self-love. Because it's only through the selfless self-love, right, that your health resiliency or aka your immunity gets a really strong boost. Yeah. You know, um, and how do you do that? It's really through cultivation, uh, cultivating right practices or more on the behavior change. So in that way, they get to live life that is full of vitality, that is full of um, joy, not just happiness, but joy, that is full of what I call true so-called freedom. Okay. I truly believe that freedom is also something that you, how do I say, it's a responsibility. A, a lot of people talk about, I want to have freedom. But do you realize that to have freedom, you need to, or at least that's my personal take. In order to have freedom in your life, it comes with responsibility, not just like, like yeah, not just being a, a, a so-called a leash to somebody. You know, it, it's that, that, that sense of little ownership as well. So that's like one of the biggest message, or rather, at least as of now, my sole message is, you know, coming back to the connection with our heart, to self-love, you know, cultivating um, selfless self-love, yeah, cultivating practices so as to ignite that powerful healing within us. Because from a famous quote, uh, not a famous quote, but a quote from a, uh, a doctor that I'm currently training my Qigong, medical Qigong with, he said this, when each person takes on the job of taking care of themselves, the huge job of taking care of everyone is already done. You know, and, and when you think about it, it makes perfect sense, right? Then there is less, um, how do I say? There is less burden mm-hmm. on the healthcare, global healthcare system. There is more joy every, with everyone, right? And yep. then prevention is always better than cure as well. There's a, there will be a shift energetically. I know that, you know, in the healthcare, in the pharmaceutical industry right now, they don't want to talk about this so much because they are fear, how do I say, they are fearful that there's no money to be made. But that's the thing. You don't have to worry about that, right? When people take the job of taking care of themselves, there will be be positive abundance everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not, I I would say you're not wasting so-called resources, the sustainable change. I mean, we can look around what's happening in the world right now. A lot of the systems are breaking down. It's obvious that, you know, the more you try to live in a fear base or that kind of like controlled uh, uh, environment, the, the, you know, it's not, it's, not, it's not sustainable. It's not the way how the nature works. So, yeah, that's really, you know, one of my biggest soul mission for, for now at this, at this phase. Why I say for now is because, you know, I, I always embrace um, evolution, right? That's my mm-hmm. soul, but definitely cultivating that, uh, uh, I call it that selfless self-love. Something we like to ask all of our guests is our listeners like to really know a little bit more about our guests. What mm-hmm. is something that you enjoy nowadays that maybe people don't know you like to do? Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's kind of, it's such a stark difference from how I am 10 <laughs> years ago, 
right now, I really enjoy learning how to what I call flow. Mm-hmm. Flow doesn't mean weak feminine flow. More like, um, yeah, just roll with the punches or roll with the waves, you know. And uh, that's why now I'm more. I, I'm really loving qigong more. Right, I love qigong more because I I can roll with it, and it really helps with my mental and my emotional aspect. It gives me a lot. It's funny, the more I, so this is another thing that I'm actually learning as well, or rather that I enjoy doing more right now is learning to slow down, to still, my way s t i l l, to slow down and then eventually still my way into a rest, digest, manifest state. The moment I come into the present moment, all of a sudden I realize I have so much time. I have a lot of health and vitality. I feel good, and I and I feel like I'm ready to take on, you know, so called the world, right? Um, yeah. So that's a lot of that's that. I really like to you know move to to be in nature, doing a lot of um outdoor stuff or nature stuff. Like right now, I'm learning how to do a little bit of herb growing at home. <laughs> uh, love cooking as well. I love to cook my own food prepare my own food i also like to um i'm actually also now deep into reading a, a little bit about human design which I, it's it's a part spiritual part psychology as well yeah and uh from time to time i definitely like also doing content creation right now learning that's on the business aspect of things i also love to spend time with my nieces i mean i love oh. kids they <laughs> one of the most i mean they are so genuine right they bring such authentic playful spirit and it and always reminds me you know there's always a, a, a beautiful inner child within us inner child doesn't mean childish but more like that authentic self that playful self mm-hmm. right when we look at children notice how they don't have like they just say what they mean there's no filter and and that aspect of being a child is amazing it's funny that you know, just adults. We we as we get older, we try to put on so many masks, and it's so heavy for us to carry, right? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And then now, I don't know. I want to ex- perhaps I want to explore more of a little bit into a bit of sketching, coloring, and perhaps some kind of a uh, maybe playing with my guitar, my sounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Right. So three things. Number one, think sustainability. Okay. Build systems to cultivate practices. No matter how small these practices, it may seem because momentum is very powerful. All right, this this comes down to the uh, the uh, habit change model, right? So things sustainability. So whatever systems you're you're building up bit by bit, think about how long, you know, what is the long term, how long it can last for you, all right? Because we don't want to like start stop start stop, just like dieting the whole. But I, I don't like the word diet, but you get what I mean. The whole mm-hmm. dieting model. All right, so that's one thing: sustainability. Two, movement. Okay, I, I really feel that movement matters. Our body is designed to move. Even if you have no limbs, right? The body is still designed to move. There's some kind of movement, even internally. Even breathing is a kind of movement. It's just that you don't see it the way how we typically see. Mm-hmm. All right? 
uh, Movement Matters, learn, so under the umbrella of Movement Matters, very important as well, learn to move right, in inverted commas, learn, move, learn to move right through the seasons of life, whether it's on the internal season or on the external season. So what I mean by that is just because someone is doing, let's say, HIIT, and they see results, it does not mean that perhaps it does not necessarily mean that that movement is right for you at this timing, at this time of your life stage. Mm-hmm. For example, I used to be a competitive uh, figure athlete. I was doing a lot of weight training. All right. That worked for me at that time. Right now, maybe it's not suitable for me, you know, and we will know it. We will know when a movement is right or not. Yeah. Right. And by the way, this is one of the strongest value and pillars that I focus on in my coaching program. And the last one is I want to talk about stillness. So I mentioned about stillness. Okay. Stillness is the way to rise to challenge with breathing. There's so much breath work. All right. With breath, you get the heart mind connection. Very, very, very powerful to rise to challenge whatever that you want. All right, these are all keys to, you know, rising above challenge, all right, to whether is it for freedom, for health, for abundance, for love, all right? Yeah, so still down so that we can go further and uh, rest, allow yourself to rest. Rest is productive <laughs> as well. So three things, things, sustainability, movement matters, move right, and stillness, breath, heart-mind connection. Well, Yen, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people, and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you so much, Alex. Uh, so, yeah, so listeners, if you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at the real Yen Huang. So over on my Instagram, I actually share uh, some behind-of-the-scenes journey of myself as a cancer survivor, as well as a, you know, a role model in terms of cultivating my health practices here in Singapore as an Asian Chinese. Sometimes you may also get some behind the scenes um, uh, show of, uh, you know, I call it my not so crazy rich Asian family as well. And most of all as well, you know, I also would love to invite listeners to join my wait list uh, of my R4CS program. I will share these notes with Alex as well. All right, and then you can, uh, yeah, just join me on this R4CS group program. It's a beta program. I'll probably be launching around, you know, uh, third or fourth quarter of this year. I I have no specific dates yet. I just want to, you know, flow. Yeah, so it's all about cultivating, you know, these practices as well. All right, so come say hello to me, and then all the links are there as well. Tune in next time here my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms, and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to get a full-length episode in video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.